Tony in front. Crosses over. Gets a shot. Goal! What a great goal by Tony Field! Now here's Stevie Hunt beating two men. He's in. A shot goal! Steve Hunt, a brilliant goal. The Cosmos lead 4-1. Come on, make your Interception by the Cosmos. Topic on the right side. Crosses in front. Canaglia! Goal! Canaglia goal! Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Carvellis, the voice of the Cosmos. The Cosmos entered the 1977 season with high hopes, a new home, and some new faces to bolster an already impressive aggregation. The incomparable Pelé was primed for his last year. The league's leading scorer, Giorgio Quinalia, was starting his first full season with the Cosmos. Defenders Nelsie Moraes, Bobby Smith, Mike Dillon, Captain Keith Eddy, Werner Roth, and Charlie Aitken were back in the fold. Midfielders Ramon Mifflin and Terry Garbett would return, along with Tony Field and goalkeeper Shep Messing. The Cosmos had gone to the NASL quarterfinals in 76 before being ousted by Tampa Bay. They knew they had to have more trump cards if they were to deal for a title in 1977. They made the moves. Jadranko Topic and Vito Dmitrievich were summoned from Yugoslavia. Jomo Sono, an exciting forward from South Africa, came aboard after a glowing recommendation from Pelé. Turkish goalkeeper Ero Yassin was in the fold. And from the English League, an exciting winger, Stevie Hunt, would make the long trip across the Atlantic. The Cosmos also added a promising group of young American players that included Gary Etherington, Paul Hunter, Marcello Curry, Greg Curtesses, Tommy Lang, Bobby Rohrbach, Chris Agliotti, Scott Strasberg, and Roberto D'Oliveira. The Cosmos were ready for the long, tough journey to Soccer Bowl 77. There would be pressure. They were the glamour team of the NASL with the likes of Pelé and Canalia. Every team would be up for them. But the Cosmos would handle that pressure well. And when it was over, they would write a glorious chapter in the history of American sports. They would become the biggest sports story of 1977. A story worth preserving. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available. A curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. And what a season it wound up uh, becoming, that 1977 uh, New York Cosmos uh, North American Soccer League Championship, uh, as uh, narrated by the uh, great, the late great uh, Jim Carvelis. That, uh, by the way, and by the way, hi, my name's Tim, Tim Hanlon, that is, uh, and this is Good Seats Still Available, your uh, curious little podcast journey uh, each and every week into what used to be in uh, professional sports or what... uh, you know, we like to sort of uh, focus on here as sort of teams and leagues and, and those those kinds of things that uh, don't exist anymore, defunct or otherwise previously incarnated, whatever. That's what we like to uh, to revel in here on this uh, this little show. And uh, that little clip uh, comes from a, a really hard to find album. But uh, if you were 
walking the, uh, the hallways there of Giants Stadium back in the day, 1978 in particular, that season, uh, you will have seen this album it was called This Is Cosmos Soccer. Uh, and it's an entire LP, two-sided, uh, that uh, literally goes through play-by-play uh, play and game-by-game uh, game, uh, through all the uh, fits and starts of uh, what became ultimately a classic and memorable championship season, uh, Pele's uh, last game and last shot at a championship uh, with the New York Cosmos. The album came out, I think, in uh, 1978 uh, and was a fixture there in the uh, the souvenir stands. And uh, yes, we we pulled that one out of the old uh, the old library there and uh, pops and hisses and, and crackles and all. And it's uh, fitting uh, as we uh, get ready to celebrate Christmas time. We're dropping this episode on uh, on Christmas Eve. So happy Christmas or Merry New Year or whatever that is, whatever you celebrate out there. We hope uh, your holidays have been or are great. Uh, and we're uh, obviously going to take a week off and uh, this episode will have to satiate you for uh, the next two weeks. But I think it will, uh, because one of the members uh, of that great uh, 1977 Cosmos team and, and and the year before, as well as the uh, uh, the, the uh, second or actually third, really. But uh, next championship season that the Cosmos had in 78 uh, is our very special guest this uh, this holiday week. His name is Bobby Smith, uh, and uh, he was, uh, you could say, a stalwart. Uh, defender uh, for uh, the Cosmos during those uh, uh, amazing years where they sort of went from, you know, sort of this uh, uh, very interesting, you know, assemblage of uh, journeyman players uh, circa 75 until this guy named Pele came about. Uh, and uh, around 76, when uh, Bobby Smith and uh, uh, his uh, South Jersey slash Philadelphia metropolitan area pal Bob Rigby uh, came onto the team, uh, you start to, to sort of see the beginnings of, uh, of the uh, rebuilding or the building of what ultimately became uh, that championship seasons in 77 and 78. And Bobby Smith is um, uh, it, this is a tremendous conversation. Bobby's a, a, a you know, a longtime uh, American born and bred soccer player runs a, a very uh, uh, successful uh, soccer uh, program and uh, indoor facility down in South Jersey. We'll give you some more information about that in a few minutes. And um as you'll hear in this conversation, Bobby and uh, his pal Bob Rigby uh, were, by all accounts, the, the reasons uh, that I uh, became uh, a New York Cosmos fan and perhaps arguably the uh, the rationale behind this little show that you're listening to. So uh, it's all Bobby's fault, as uh, as we'll hear uh, in our chat. Uh, Bob is also, uh, you know, one of the uh, growing number of National Soccer Hall of Fame members that uh, we've interviewed on the show in our Short little lifetimes, I, I think actually the seventh, uh, if you're counting players and uh, and administrators and builders and that kind of stuff. And actually the 10th, uh, if you include, as we we do, frankly, uh, the Colin Joe's uh, Media Award winners who are uh, also uh, members uh, in full standing of the National Soccer Hall of Fame. So uh, we, we've got a nice little uh, trove there, I guess, of interviews with people, uh, you know, who are important to the game of soccer in this country and, and Bobby Smith. Uh, is um, happily one of them, and uh, we were uh, ecstatic uh, to be able to connect and have a very, very fun conversation, which you will hear uh, in a few minutes as we go through things like the Philadelphia Adams, and not only the Cosmos, but uh, the Adams of uh, 73 to 75, uh, the San Diego Soccers. We get into Philadelphia Fury stuff. Uh, we touch on the Philadelphia Fever of the MISL, uh, where Bobby had a couple of cups of coffee, as well as uh, Le Manique de Montreal, which was uh, his... Uh, sort of final uh, outdoor pro uh, landing 
spot. And uh, and also, by the way, some very interesting conversations about uh, being on the national team uh, in the late 70s and uh, through all the way to 1980. So this is a really uh, cool conversation uh, coming up uh, with our uh, our new pal, Bobby Smith, uh, he of the National Soccer Hall of Fame. And uh, in my mind, uh, the reason why I became a Cosmos fan and uh, uh, and again, uh, we blame him, uh, but uh, in a loving and gentle way, of course, um, we're not going to give any uh, promos uh, this week. Uh, we suspect that uh, you're already uh, fully uh, uh, embracing all of the uh, great gifts and uh, and joy that uh, hopefully you're celebrating with your uh, your families and your friends uh, this holiday season. Uh, but we do want to at least say thank you uh, for all the great support uh, during the course of uh, this year, 2018. My God, it's going to be 2019, I think, by sometimes by the time that some of you hear this episode. Uh, we got some great stuff coming at you for uh, for next year. But I do want to say thank you to uh, our friends, OldSchoolShirts.com, uh, our friends, uh, SportsHistoryCollectibles.com, uh, and also our friends in Portland at uh, 503Sports, 503-Sports.com. We uh, want to thank, of course, our friends at Podfly Productions, and in particular, the great uh, and good Dr. Jerry Payne at Podfly, uh, ProductionsPodfly.net. Uh, all great uh, uh, folks, and uh, we uh, appreciate you uh, uh, giving them a try and uh, and patronizing uh, their wares. And uh, we also uh, thank you all, of course, out there in listener land. Uh, we're in, you're in the tens of thousands now. It's 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 fascinating and really hard to believe. But uh, we uh, we could not do this show without your support, your interest, and your uh, fervor uh, for this little nook and cranny of uh, of soccer sports. Sorry, that's soccer. Please, sports history, professional sports history. That, um, you know, uh, that is just uh, just completely uh, continues to amaze uh, at all the various uh, things that we learn and will continue to learn as we go into the new year. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah, which was a couple of weeks ago, uh, Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, just, you know, I hope it's all great. Uh, and we wish you uh, the best for the new year. Uh, if you're listening to this in uh, the new year of 2019, uh, buckle up because we've got a lot of great stuff uh, coming your way. And as soon as I shake this cold, uh, we're going to get right into it. So, again, our thanks. And uh, we uh, we really love doing the show and uh, we appreciate you um, letting us know that uh, you enjoy it, too. So uh, it means a lot to us. So so thank you. And uh, and God bless, as they say. All right. So let's not waste any more time. Uh, let us uh, fill our glasses uh, full with another uh, couple of ounces of eggnog. Uh, let's get a couple of Christmas cookies uh, on the side. Let's uh, kick up our feet and relax and enjoy our very fun and uh, engaging conversation with the great uh, National Soccer Hall of Famer Bobby Smith coming up right now. Forty five years later, somebody wants to talk to you about something in your life. It's like, what what, what the hell do they want? <laughs> what, what's going on? It's uh uh, uh, nice that somebody's still interested in those days and all that stuff, you know. So well, I'm all I, right with that, you know. I, I so I appreciate. It. I mean, I, I've been doing this little podcast for a year and a half as a way to sort of keep me sane from my day job in in the media, uh, the media business, which is going kablooey. Um, but my initial interest in pursuing conversations around teams and leagues uh, no longer with us actually emanated from my. My fandom is a Cosmos fan, and let maybe maybe we should start with this, okay? And this is a personal aside. Um, uh, you know, you and, and, and your pal at the time, Bob Rigby were, uh, I think indirectly responsible for me becoming a Cosmos fan back in, dare I say it, 1976. So we're talking Hohokus, New Jersey, Hohokus, New Jersey. You probably don't remember it, but, uh, this is the end of, I remember that town. Okay. Okay. 
So you're, we're talking at the end of uh, my uh, uh, rec soccer team, Hohokus and Saddle River, New Jersey, sort of combined uh, teams. We had a decent year that year. And you guys, uh, unbeknownst to probably to you at the beginning of your day, uh, were kind enough to come and sign some autographs and hand out the trophies. Oh, wow. At, at Hohokus in, in, that, in that town? Correct. Huh. Me and Riggs? Yeah. And uh, I That's guess this is funny. I, so this is probably about the time when you guys had kind of maybe just joined the team. But um, so uh, it's all your fault. So let's put it that way. Let's start there. Oh, really? That's good. Yeah. We made an impression on you, huh? You did. And, um, you know, so, maybe, so let's rewind a little bit. Right. So give us a little bit of a sense of how you uh, got into soccer in the first place in your, your collegiate career. Uh, because look, let's be honest, in the, the late 60s, early 70s, right, uh, soccer, you know, was not quite the thing in the United States, really. So how did you get involved and in, in hooked on it in the first place? Well, there, there, you're right. There was very little soccer being played any place. Um, I don't know. I mean, you, you still had like your inner cities that were doing all the ethnic guys had that. And that's how we got into soccer in my area was Trenton. And we played all our leagues were in Trenton. And you had the Trenton Italians, the Trenton Ukrainians, the Trenton Germans, the Trenton, every ethnic with the Scotch club. And those were all the, the clubs. And we had a blast with them because we were just American guys and we'd go into these clubs and it'd be all Germans. And I played with them for a while and they spoke German all the time. The sidelines, they were, and they're all cheering for these uh, young American players and probably half at least of them were the German children, you know, that played for, for there. But they, you know, they brought other, other uh, they, they brought, started to incorporate the Americans into these club teams you know, from the inner, inner city, not inner city, but, you know, from the ethnic, ethnic areas of the country. And, you know, Trenton was a, a pretty, a very ethnic immigrant city uh, back then with all its little communities. So it was a perfect kind of, a, you know, situation for us to go into the programs that they loved. We had none created by our own suburban American people, you know what I mean? So the, this, that was the opportunities were with uh, those, those groups. And then, and then it became more Americanized. You started having your leagues in your, in your suburban areas and stuff. But, I mean, I, there was an Irish guy on my neighborhood that started, that was playing soccer when I was like, I don't know, nine or ten, we started playing. You know, and now I see nine and ten-year-olds that are just like unbelievable in my business. Um, we have, you know, I have a lot of travel league programs, a lot of training programs. There's nine-year-olds now that are just so good it's unbelievable and we just started playing it now we didn't know anything so the game has changed so much you know really so why 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 soccer say versus all the other sort of shall we say quintessentially american sports right as a, as a kid well I, I played all of them all the way through high school you know i played baseball basketball and soccer you know one season led to another and i can remember i can remember uh one time i was at uh uh, American Legion practice as maybe a sophomore or a junior, let's say in high school. And I was on the American, I was on the baseball field and uh, a bunch of soccer guys, older soccer guys were, were playing soccer. And I remember leaving the field and I remember Mr. Many was one of our coaches and saying to them, I, I'm, I'm going to go over there and, 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 and play soccer. And I left baseball then just because, I don't know, I probably wasn't that good at it or what, I, I don't know, whatever. I just wanted to play that game. You know, my buddies were over there, and I just decided then that I wanted to play soccer only. But that's that. I mean, you didn't play soccer only. 
uh, growing up where I was growing up at, you know, there was no such thing as only playing soccer. It wasn't offered in the spring or the summer. Nobody was playing, you know, so it was, it was a fall sport. And I, I played probably more basketball than any of them, you know, really. And, you know, after school, you just go down to the courts and you just play basketball all the time. And then, unfortunately, I wish I was developing my soccer skills at that age. I would have been a better player. But that was just, you know, that was just such different times. It's unbelievable, you know. Well, you, you didn't do too badly, right? I mean, you went on to play a, a stellar college career, right, at, at Ryder. So, I mean, you, you obviously made a decision to kind of formalize uh, the soccer thing over everything else, no? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to play soccer more than anything. I really liked it. Made a group of guys from Trenton all like all became great friends. And just it was a very small community, actually. Funny enough, it was, you know, it wasn't that many guys in your group that would play soccer. And we just played all the time. And I mean, I can remember wanting to go to Europe and, and like, we, we didn't even know about the leagues. We didn't know about anything. There was no uh, media, no newspapers. There was nothing around. I remember there was like a, what was it called from England? It was a soccer magazine and some, or a German magazine made it. Somebody get a hold of it and it'd be like, he'd pass it around. It was, oh man, Gunther Netzer, who's that? You, you're reading about Pelé. You read about these people and you had nothing, no TV, no exposure to the game at all, which really hurt the development of the game that, you know, there wasn't any way to see how the game should be played. We're down at the high school field or something playing the game that we think we play, they think we know what we're doing, you know? So it was, tough. it was so different then. And then I met Manfred Schauscheid though. That was the turning point. Well, let's, let, let, like, let, let's talk about Manny's because that's, okay. uh, okay. that and, and, and the college thing, I, I maybe you could sort of wrap all that up into, okay, so at what point uh, do you realize that you, uh, have some level of, of, of talent uh, beyond perhaps the collegiate sort of experience. And, and maybe yeah. when and how does this, it's, this, this, uh, I would dare say still fledgling North American soccer league thing uh, mm-hmm. hit your radar for the first time, because, you know, I, I would argue it would only be the sort yeah. of most, you know, passionate devotees who even knew about the NASL at that time. Right. Yeah. You're, you're not, you're not going to believe how that, that came about. I'll tell you that, but, but I mean, high school, I'm playing in, you know, pretty, pretty all state player and pretty good player high school, scoring a lot of goals, you know, me and a good friend of mine, uh, my best friend growing up. And we both um, had opportunities to go to Ryder College. I had no other colleges interested in me. My brother went to Glassboro, a, a college in New Jersey, and it cost my parents like, I don't know, seven, eight thousand a year from the go there. And it was looking a little bit difficult of how I was going to end up in a college someplace financially, let's say. So the writer came along and offered me and my buddy, Mike Strickland, both of us scholarships to that college here. And I never know writer soccer, never watched any other college team play and never heard anything about them, you know, but okay. So I, I, I go there and that summer before I go, Mike says to me, we, we trained all the time together. He goes, ah, I don't think I'm going to writer. I said, what, what do you mean, Mike? We're going together. And he's like, oh, I just joined the Marines. I'm going to Vietnam. And I was like, oh, are you serious? And I was mad. I was mad at him for like, you know, bailing on me. And I'm on a soccer show that fall and he's in his rice paddies in Vietnam. So it was like, it was just such a different kind of paths that we went on. And that's how I started playing. I went to Ryder by myself, which is okay, big deal. But I really wanted to go with him because we played really well together. And I was very disappointed when he said, he just looked and said, I joined the Marines yesterday. I was like, wow. And you know, I mean, well, whatever. So I ended up going to Ryder, and it wasn't a Ryder. It wasn't a soccer school. The guys played maybe a couple months a year. None of them played year-round. 
I really think I was the only full-time soccer player that in, in my mind played that much. And the teams weren't, we weren't good. So I was, I led this team in scoring when I was a freshman. And I could only play like non-conference games. I played in nine games. I scored like, I don't know. Uh, I don't remember exactly 10, 11 goals or so my freshman year, but that's how, that, that's not how good a player I was. That's how bad the team was. <laughs> it says more for that than it says about my, my playing ability actually. But, you know, I always played forward, you know, attacking midfielder. And I was like, you know, loved the game was always fit and covered the whole ground in the field. And it was, you know, I, I kind of, you know, fought hard on the soccer field. I took it seriously. And I, I really wanted to do well every game. I had a good work ethic and that, that kind of stuff pays off for you, you know? Well, okay. So then how do you get on the radar of this uh, NASL thing? Um, you know, and did you even know there's a thing called a draft and did you, were you aware of a league and no. was it even in your, in, no. your, in your, in the back of the, of your mind at all that, that, that you could even go to, to another level knowing that maybe there actually isn't another level in this country? Yeah. No, had no idea what the NSL was. I guess there was a team, um, uh, New York Generals, I think, had a team, or and I don't sure. know what the Cosmos, well, the Cosmos, the Cosmos, yeah, the New York Generals were yeah. the, uh, yeah, they were, were one they? of the two forerunners along with the Skyliners. Okay, and then um, one night, my senior year, I don't know what I'm going to do after I'm going into my student teaching. I'm a little behind in my credits, but I'm going to be a, a teacher, I, I guess. You know, I was in a teaching program at Ryder. Because uh, I didn't do well in the business side of it. It was class I'd take in corporate finance and all these hard accounting class. I, I didn't do great in them. So I, I went over, changed my degree. But um, so I'm, I'm playing there the, uh, my, my senior year and I'm bartending at this bar extension, most famous, one of the famous bars in New Jersey. It's a Trenton. It was a Trenton soccer hangout. And the guy gave, gave me a bartending job there. And the phone rang, and, a, and one of my buddies on my dormitory room was at the phone booth at the end of the hall, called me and said, hey, just got a call from some, somebody, and you got drafted. And, some, and I swear to you, I thought that I said, well, my lottery number was 209 in the, in the draft, in the Vietnam draft. I swear I thought that's what he said, what he meant to me, is that it was drafted into the service. Because I didn't know anything about a draft, you know. And then I got a phone call from um, George O'Gorman, a sports writer in Trenton. And he said that I had been drafted by the soccer team. And I, I just, it was a brand new team in Philly. So there was nothing to know about the team. It was our first year. So I didn't know that there wasn't a team in Philly. So I really had no idea what the NASL was about. And it was like nine teams in a league. And this guy drafts me, Al Miller, who was the only American coach, I think probably the first American coach in the NASL, he drafted me because we used to go, this extension team from Trent used to go to Hartwick College because some of the guys younger than me started going up to Hartwick and playing Mooch and Angelotti, the Moore brothers, great Trenton players. A little younger than me, Hartwick became a place to go. And I just missed out on that by a couple of years, you know. And we'd go up there and play indoor winter tournaments. And that's the only time the coach of Hartwick ever got to see me play was on playing with extent we'd go up there and it was funny because we would beat Hartwick at their own tournament because we went up there with a pretty loaded extension team and played against a college team I was in college as well but I mean played against their college team indoors and we did really well with them and he remembered me from those tournaments and he drafts me the following spring when he gets the job coaching a new team in Philly he drafted Rigby first who was the best goalkeeper in, in America in the country uh, in my mind ever actually but Anyway, he drafted him first out of East Stroudsburg because Al Miller 
played East Stroudsburg in their, in their season, Hartwick, right? So that's a connection with Rigby. And he drafted me out of Ryder and uh, his next pick. And that's how we ended up in Philly. So we had Al Miller on a couple of months ago, and uh, I, I didn't uh, get into some of the draft picks there. But um, so th- this completely blindsided you. Did you have did any inkling that like he he would be, you know, considering or, or you had no idea that that any kind of drafting was either possible or, no, or that you were going to be tapped? No. And I didn't know Al Miller. I didn't know who he was. The coach of Hartwick, I believe, went there to play. I, I don't know who the coach is of the team that you're playing in an indoor tournament. And I, I never knew who the guy was, you know, but he drafted and he told me afterwards, he goes, Hey, hey Smitty, you're, you're a diamond in a rough. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? But that's what he said to me after he had drafted me. He goes, yeah, yeah. But I mean, who was going to draft me from Ryder? And I mean, back then, like local people did the draft, all the coaches from the NSO who were back in Europe coaching, they weren't doing the draft. They didn't care what Americans got picked. I don't, I think the draft was like, I don't know how serious it ever was really taken because they'd have some local coach, junior college coach, whatever, do the draft for these for these coaches. It was never any, oh, I mean, how many years did they have the draft before mine? I don't even know. Was it, two, it might have only been the second or third year there was even a draft. The one I was in. So I nobody, think, nobody I, knew about that. Yeah, I think that I think that's probably right, and I think it's also uh, especially yeah. uh, doubly interesting because the Adams were uh, I wouldn't say hastily arranged, but they it was a relatively short period of time between the, the oh team yeah that was a war together and them having to get a team on the field. That's that's right, and you know they he they drafted me, and I got a call. I think Al Miller must have called me. I'm sure. Like a day or two later, I said we're going to England on Friday. And this was like now like a Tuesday after that weekend with the draft. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So I, well, I'll send you some information. We'll be at well, Kennedy Airport or whatever. So I have to go into school now because I just started my student teaching, my senior year student teaching, right? And I go in there and I talk to this dean that was the head of the business education department that set me up for student teaching over in the Chamonix High School over in Penzi. I was doing it. I'm in the middle of it. I say to him, you know, um, uh, Mr. Brower, you know, I have to leave because, uh, and this guy, I remember this guy looking at me like, are you, what is wrong with you? Because and they, they put a lot of time into it. I'd say this guy did prepare me for that in my major and he was my advisor and all that crap, you know? And he, he just looked at me like, you, you can't be serious. You're, you're throwing away a degree here. And, it, you know, I said, I remember looking and saying, well, whatever business that means to you is what soccer means to me. I'm, I'm sorry, but it's an opportunity for me of a lifetime and I'm going. And it's funny because I came back to him a year or two later to finish my degree. And I asked him if I could do my student teaching. And he said, no, no, we, we don't, we're not offering it to you uh, at this time at all. So I, I, I wanted to, I, I wanted to finish my degree at some point, but I mean, I went back to him. It was like he was waiting for me with like double barrel shotguns, you know, like, all right, you come back. He probably meant you'll come back to me someday when you do look out, you know. So, yeah, but it's also it's also it's also a bit, you know, it's quite brave. Right. I mean, you're yeah. And that's sort of was sort of my next question is like, what was the calculus in your mind about uh, making a decision uh, to become a quote unquote professional soccer player? Right. When not a lot of track record there. Right. Well, that, that, that was no decision. I was, I was in school to play soccer and I'm taking classes and I'm trying to hang on to a two Oh, so I can play. I was not a student. I was not concerned about teaching. I, w- I wanted to be a soccer player. That was it. So it was no decision. You know, when I had an opportunity to play soccer, I was, I was just so far gone. 
You know, it wasn't even, I don't remember even, I remember being happier than, can be. I don't remember any feeling of, I mean, I was elated, you know what I mean? I, it, was, it was like a dream come true for me. There's a team in Philly, a new team that's in the professional NASL, and they play. And now, here, here's a, 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 an issue. Like, we, they gave me a job during the day uh, at a construction, at a, uh, on a construction site. It was an apartment complex. Me and Riggs both worked. During the day with the Adams, they give us 100 bucks a week for the day job, and about you leave about four o'clock from the job and go to uh, Vet Stadium. And practice was across the street. The old, the old uh, is it RFK, JFK, whatever stadium that was yeah, across J- from JFK. the Vet. Yeah, yeah. Right, and we trained every night six o'clock, hard training without Miller. And you know that was that was um, that was our life then. I remember Stan on Stan Starzl's couch. He lived in Philly. He was on the team a year before me. He had an apartment in Philly. I stayed on his couch that, that um, summer season. And I did that for three years, right, in Philly. And then I get traded to the Cosmos. Do you mind if I jump ahead to that for a second? Yeah, sure, because uh, I do want to go back to Adams because, you know, uh, the championship thing, uh, which is kind of important. But sure, of course, let's hear it. Okay. Yeah, go, 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 do it. Would you want, okay. we, we go well, all over the place here. No problem. All right, just this point, though, that I want to mention, we get traded to the Cosmos. And I can remember me and Riggs getting on a train, going up to, to, to New York together because we get traded together. And Palais was there, which was like, unbelievable. But they told us that they would be training in the mornings, 1030 at Hofstra, and then playing games at Yankee Stadium. And I was like, we're training in the, in the morning? And they were like, yeah. I said, I, I looked at Riggs like, we're not going to have to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, that's when I felt that was the biggest moment, actually, is when I felt and knew that we were training every day in the morning, 10 o'clock. And that's what we did for a living. I made, I think it was my contract was 18, 18,000 that first year in New York, but that's coming, that's come from making 800 a month in Philly, my third year. So I can remember thinking now, now this is, now I feel like it's a full time. Now I feel like a professional athlete because I'm not working any job during the day. We're just playing soccer and then going. And that was like unbelievable moment for me, really to, to realize that now this is the, this is our life now, and it was like unbelievable how that was that was thrilling. But we go back to the Adams. I just wanted to mention that to you because no, that was I, when I really felt like I became a full time player. You know, no, I, and I that's a it's a really that's a really telling point. And we've heard a little bit of this from from some of our other uh, uh, soccer conversations, uh, in particular Bobby Moffitt, right? Would uh, you know with something very interesting even years before you, right? The idea of you know what is this quote unquote professional soccer thing when you know a lot of it was in the off season or and also during the season uh working odd jobs i mean he was talking about how lamar hunt and his and the organization you know would would line him up with uh you know uh, uh, groundskeeping jobs at uh, the local you know private high school right uh, during the day and yeah that's yeah that's funny mccluskey the owner of the adams was a construction guy so he had was a big big silly construction guy that really wanted to own an nfl team from what i can remember about his his reading things about him he wanted an nfl franchise couldn't get one so i don't know there's a story out there with lamar hunt i don't know talked him into getting a soccer franchise but he had a big construction company so there was always work we always uh, did something to do with his his business you know the owner's business you know well let's talk about that first season in particular with the adams and, okay. and maybe a little bit of a sort of you know you give us a little bit of a hint of the day-to-day but um, you know, it turned out to be kind of a magical season. And, and I, did you even imagine that it could even wind up with a championship uh, when you were beginning your journey with the Adams? Um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't really have imagined that the team would go that far. But 
I remembered thinking as it went along, we go over to England, right? Remember I told you about that preseason, we go over to England. And um, it's, it's also an, another part of that was I, before we went to England, on a, let's say a Monday, a Sunday I had a game with Manny Schalscheid, a German, um, uh, Newton, um, Elizabeth German's team that Manny Schalscheid coached and I played for him in college. They would make a few bucks on the side kind of. The day before we left, I played at Fartus Grove, horrible field, and I did my ankle. And I, I was like, it was, I, I, I heard it pretty bad. And, and I remember being in a lot of pain. And the next day I've got to get on a plane to go with the Adams. And I just remember saying to Riggs, Riggs, man, you know, come on, give me a hand here, man. I got to walk. It's like, if they see me limping, they're going to leave me home. <laughs> so I remember once that plane took off, I looked at them and I was like, so pumped. They, you know, they're not leaving me home now. I'm going, but I couldn't train there. I, I did nothing the first I don't know. We were there for two weeks and I, I, I could do nothing. My ankle was, was in that bad of shape, but I couldn't put any weight. I, I didn't do much at all over there, which was terrible. But they picked up some players over there and I started meeting these English guys and just fell in love with these guys. I mean, they, they come from a soccer culture and it was Jim Fry, Andy Pogue, and Roy Evans from Liverpool. I never knew any of their names, obviously, because we don't know anything about English soccer at the time. And George O'Neill from Scotland, and he's starting to put the Chris Dunleavy from Southport. He's getting his team together, and I'm like, these are older professionals, soccer players from England. They played Division Three, okay, and that's how that league kind of started with those level players. But those guys loved us. They came over here hard, hard players, good work ethics with families, wives, and kids. They come over. And me and Riggs are around them, and the other American guys were around those guys, and they were great role models for us. I love those guys. They were, it was tremendous. And all the anti-American stuff that I end up getting, feeling towards the league in years after, none of that had anything to do with loving your teammates. And, and being. it was more of a policy issue with the league. You know, why, why aren't we having more Americans on the field than it was ever against the foreign players that were here because I had great relationships all my playing career with all of them. But that year in particular, they left for, um, when they went home to England, we went to the airports with them and saw them off. And it was like a family. It was just, you know, it was unbelievable. It was really, you know, and, and it, it was, um, and those guys were Jim, Jim Fryant and Andy Proven. I mean, these guys are players. And I, I've never been around players like them, you know? So it was, it was a blast. We played our asses off of them. And there were some American guys. You see, I think that was the right combination, even back then. And you know, somebody has told me, I'm rambling now a little bit, but somebody has told me that there was an American game, professional soccer game with the most Americans on the field. And it was the Philadelphia Adams, our first game against St. Louis. St. Louis, all Americans. So I think that, yeah, I'm pretty sure they were all American. And Philadelphia Adams, our team, I think there was like six of us Americans on the field. And I've read something someplace where that was the most Americans on a field in a professional and maybe an ASL game. Maybe, maybe that's what I'm thinking. And it's just and an ASL game, most Americans. And I mean, that Adams team is where I thought that that makes sense. There's these four or five English guys, Scottish, whatever. And there's these five, six American guys sitting in and let's play. Okay. We're not ready for 11 Americans on the field. We're not good enough to have teams like that. But I really thought that was like a perfect combination, you know, of, of Americans and, and, and English players and, and putting out a pretty good product, you know. How did you how did you uh, adjust and or uh, what were your feelings about and, and uh, your the, the actual play across the league 
uh, aside from the sort of you know uh, games against St. Louis in particular. I mean, uh, uh, the, the surfaces and the the, the ca- in many cases cavernous stadiums. Uh, you know, Philly obviously drew relatively well, surprisingly, in that first season. But uh, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't sort of major league status per se, right? It was still kind of a a sell job, right? To to kind of get fans in the stands and all that kind of stuff, right? So quality of play and experience uh, that you sort of uh, well, went through. I, I I see where you're going with that, like sell job to the people and all that. But you know, all we're thinking about is. We train today. We have a game tomorrow. We go there. It's Rochester or whatever. You're playing some, some junk stadium. I don't care. The field's not great. I don't care. I know I'm going out to play against Warren Archibald that day or George Siega from York that day or, uh, I, I don't know, just the players. And to me, it was the greatest thing in the world. I, I didn't think anything about it not being a professional league. I didn't think anything about, well, you know, you know you're not at the levels of the NFL and NBA and, and baseball. You, you know you're not there. So that that's like stupid to even think that you're, comparing it to that, but for soccer in this country, that was the highest level. So, you know, I, I just remember like uh, being so excited and thrilled with every game. And I mean, the surfaces you mentioned, okay, yeah, they were terrible. That stadium was like a parking lot. And, uh, you know, so that, that, okay. So what you're playing though, all that mattered to me was I'm out there playing. I got these guys around me and the last three days we were running doggies and busting our ass to, KFK Stadium across the event, and now we have a game. You know, it was always nice to have a game because you're not training now. You know, you're, you're, the game is like a reward of all the work you did all week long. That's I remember. I, I remember thinking that way and feeling that way. Games, games are rewards. Yeah, and you're getting paid for it, right? Which is all the whole the whole dream, right? <laughs> yeah, I got I got paid eighty eight dollars a week for that that week, and I didn't I could have cared less about that contract. I, I you know, I, I was never the best businessman in, in the in the game, but. I mean, I'm playing, and you know, we're making 400 a month. That's great. I, I love it. You know, I'm not, I'm not sitting around thinking that you know, oh my God, look at how little we're getting paid. I would have paid them to play. Honestly, that's how I felt. You know? But you're you're also you're also distinguishing yourself too, because that passion is clear, and you're training, and you're obviously improving, and with all the professional talent and the, and the environment that you're around. Uh, you know, you're 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 rumbling around some all-star uh, teams, uh, uh, you know, designations over those years, and uh, uh, so maybe a little bit of uh, the sort of the segue into the cosmos. But uh, by way of uh, a little team in Ireland called Dundalk, right? That um, yeah. Yeah. I, I heard you talk uh, with uh, the News Talk guys in Dublin a few months ago. Um, maybe uh, did a, you really? You heard that? Us, yeah, yeah regale us <laughs> a little bit about sort of that sort of loan spell, how that came about. And it, w- would you say that that was instrumental or just part of your learning curve to get to what ultimately was the next step with the New York Cosmos? Well, I think it was huge in certain ways. Let, let me say that Dave Dorico, I went there with. Now, Dave Dorico was a strong Carney, New Jersey player, the Herman Trophy winner, played out in Seattle, hard player. His assistant coach out there was Irish. The guy wants Dave to come back and play with him for this team in Ireland. Dave calls me and says, hey, I got a chance. To, I think I'm going to Ireland. I said, Dave, you got, you got to get me there. You got, you got to, you know, you got to bring me with you. Tell this guy, you know, I'm over here and I want to go with you. So it was really his assistant coach in Seattle that went there. And the guy said, oh, he wants to go. Okay, all right, all right, bring him along. You know, so we go to Ireland together, me and, me and Dave. And um, now it's. It's, you know, I'm in a different country for the first time. 
And Dundalk is, you know, you know, at that time in 70, in 74, Dundalk was called a, a, a running town because it was right on the border of North and South Ireland. And the town just above it, the first town in Northern Ireland was Newry and it was shot out, bore, uh, boarded up. You didn't even go in there. It was difficult times in Ireland then. And I mean, you know, we trained hard in Ireland. It was again training every day. And we'd go out in the afternoons and me and Dave would work out and do something. And, you know, we were there on our own. I had a, a, one of the guys on the team, supported the team on the gas station. I got a job pumping gas at nights from like six to 10, making a quid an hour. So I had some, cause we were paid like, I, I honestly, we were paid five quid a week to play. And we went there on the reserve team. We played one or two games on the reserve team. Bang. We both went up to the first team, took two guys spots and played on the first team. The rest of that until, until the holidays, until Christmas, you know? So it was sitting out. I had an opportunity to play year round soccer. That's like a dream come true again. Because I don't have a long off season. I'm not sitting back in Trenton doing what? You know, I mean, an off season doing nothing, you know? And, and were the Adams so, okay with this or were they encouraging of this or this is completely independent of, of oh, I, the off season? I don't even think, I, I don't, I don't know. I just went, I mean, they didn't have, they don't have anything to the next April. What's the problem? I, I guess I was considered on loan, loan from what? Loan from a nothing contract that was monthly only for that summer anyway. So I don't remember any any big deal at all about them having any input in that. I mean, I would think the coach would be like, you got a chance to go play, go and become a better player for us next April. You know what I mean? That's how I looked at it. You know, I'm going to go over there and just get stronger and better. And, and, and it really was hard training. It was, you know, the comforts for it. It was good for me mentally because, you know, hey, you know, you, you're, you're nobody over here. You know, I want to hear one thing every game. You, you lost that tackle to an American, to a Yank. He's a Yank kind of here. I would, and I would hear it because, you know, they, they, I guess they, they, they found out who we were or whatever. No big deal. But, you know, soccer was so bad here. Why would any European team bring over American players? Because America sucks so bad in soccer. What are these two guys doing here? So they just thought it was a little experiment. Let, let them train with the reserve team. We're not paying them any money. Who gives a shit? They get to pay their own housing. And let them come over here and play a little. And it turned out to be that I learned that, you know, and, you know, it's funny, Drico went into that locker room after the little first couple of days and things when, you know, it was like people coming up and shaking their hand. Nice to have you here. They're like, well, what are you doing? Here? Kind of. No big deal. I don't care. I'm, we're playing. He says to them in the locker room, goes, if any of you, if any of you motherfuckers think I'm here to learn something from you and that I suck, I played soccer all my life just like you did. And we'll store it out on the field or we'll store it out in the parking lot. It's exactly what he says to this room of guys that I don't know who these guys are, you know? And I'm like sitting there going, Dave, Jesus Christ, man, sit down, will you? You know? So, but that, that's how that experience started out there. And it was great for me. It was really strong for me mentally to be stronger person. Uh, physically, the game was very physical, but I didn't, I didn't need to help in that area. But just mental part of it, um, just dealing with situations, really, really uh, prepared me for being able to, to, to get into different challenges in my life. I think that, that, you know, you have to be able to hang in there a little bit with, you know? So that's really what Ireland meant. I came home, I was so fit and I had the best year of my life when I came home. Well, I don't know up to that point, the best year in uh, 75, I, I came in, I was fit all year long. I was strong and fit from playing. 
I mean, that's what you want. I don't want an off season. Yeah, and you were the first U.S. Uh, native uh, in the NASL to uh, to uh, win first team uh, All Star honors. So clearly, uh, you 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 gained a lot from the experience. Let me so let me ask you this: as you came back, uh, did you feel that you had improved as a player? Uh, and uh, did you also know that the Adams were basically going to go through an ownership change uh, during that season or just after that season, or were you unaware? No, I wasn't aware of that at all. I mean, it was our third year there. I didn't know. I know that we hadn't done, we didn't repeat our championship season. Okay, you know, other teams in the league, we tried to stay. And I remember Al Miller saying this, that we tried to hold on to what we had in 73, and other teams were were getting getting better, and we kind of tried to hang on, and we didn't. We ended up having not a great, an okay year in 74. I don't remember our records. I don't remember stuff like that. But, um, I don't remember that being the last year in for the Philly franchise at all. You, you don't know stuff like that when you're a player. You know that, that's ownership stuff. I, you know, just, I don't. I don't hear anything. Nobody was talking about it. We were just playing, and um, you know. But I, I, I definitely felt coming back. I was a stronger player, and I mean, if you play something year round, you're, you're going to get better. You know, constantly. If you don't get injured, you're going to continue to get better and stronger. I don't want a week off. You know what I mean? I want to play. And I don't like having an offseason. I hated going back to, to even college stuff and having to do the preseason trainings. I hated that. I, I don't want to be out of shape. If you stay in shape, you, you, you never have to fight hard. You never have to hurt for the game that much. You're just keeping, you're maintaining a high-level fitness. was like, you know, a, a gift to me that I was able to do that. And that's what Ireland gave me. It was a place to play. I, I remember doing the same thing with Philly when I played was it the week winter before that or the winter after that with the fever indoors? I went outdoors, indoors, outdoors, you know, with the uh, NASL, then the, the MISL indoor team, and then outdoors again. I mean, that's like, to someone like me, that was like exactly what I wanted, you know? What am I going to do for three months in Trenton? Seriously, what am I going to come home in Trenton? Yeah, you know, I get that. You know? so, so let me ask yeah. you this just generally then. I mean, I, I wonder this at players uh, these days too. How do you prevent from uh, overexposure possibly for injury or wearing your body down or, or getting rest, you know, when you're yeah. kind of pursuing, you know, the candle at both ends, so to speak, year round? Uh, I don't know. I, you know, I guess you got to be a little lucky. And um, I, I don't know. I don't I don't see this side of wearing your body down. I see this side of getting stronger. I don't see it as breaking down and, oh, man, I got to I got to back off now a little bit. I mean, you get your rest. You have days off like anything else, and your body recovers. You know, I'm 23, four or five years old. I mean, what's, what's the problem? I mean, you can't stay away from certain injuries. I understand that, and every sport has certain injury op- injury possibilities. But, you know, if you, if you avoid them, which I did, and, and uh, you know, you're just you're, – you're fit. I don't I – don't, yeah, and the game didn't get stale to me because it's so new. We were we weren't the first ones, but the first professional league and okay, the first group of Americans playing that you're so thrilled and psyched about it that you're on such a high all the time about the opportunity you have that I, I how could you ever, how could the game ever get stale? Every training session, every game you go to, to me was this isn't like another day at work where I'm kind of I'm a little bit bored today. I don't remember that at all. I remember going out like guns blazing, let's go. You know, I, I remember feeling that way. And fortunate enough to stay injury free for a while there until I, I had in the operation in New York one time. But you know, staying relatively free from from doing that. But Dorico left me in December, right on that Irish trip. He came. He came. He came home. He just had enough. The team had maybe had enough of him because he was pretty aggressive. I kind of like lay in the weeds, just do my job. And he was he was a little bit. He'd go at them a little bit. 
he came back and I stayed there in this apartment pumping that gas at nights and working. And that was more challenging than anything. And, you know, years later, I went to Brazil with Santiago Formosa and the same situation. He left me at Christmas and I stayed there again those next three months. And both times I was weighing the possibility of, all right, I'll go home in Santiago, I'll go home in Dorico. But and do, what are we going to do at home, Dave? You know, but they just both had enough of it and I did not stop. I, I stayed there. And both times, the second half of those years by myself weren't quite as, probably more learning on my own and more more developing certain different kinds of things, but not at all as enjoyable without somebody there with me. You know what I mean? Very interesting. So, all right. Well, then yeah. it's also unwittingly uh, at this point, right, in your career, uh, really good preparation for what was to come next. So let's uh, let's tee this one up. Uh, give us a little bit of a, a, a ramp up here as to how the uh, the New York Cosmos situation comes about uh, from the Adams, which. Uh, in, in some of our previous conversations, the Adams uh, basically were sold and there was Mexican ownership and seems like there was a uh, an unloading of, of, of talent uh, under new ownership. So how does Cosmos uh, come under your radar? Um, yeah, I had uh, just gotten word somehow. I don't remember exactly that me and Riggs had been traded. And somehow or other, we had a, we heard a figure of something like, 75,000 each. And if you remember thinking, because we were, we were best friends, me and Rick. So we were together when we heard that news, we, you know, we, we got together. And I remember talking to him. It was like, damn, man, they, they paid us a total of like 12,000 for three years. They sold us for that much money? I, I, to me, it was like, oh, my God, that's unbelievable, you know, that we both got traded. I thought he was worth a lot more than I was. But that's how it came down to both of us. So I think it was 75 each, whatever. But we're going to New York. We get out of train and we're going to uh, Warner Communications. Don't know where we're going. Get out of a uh, off a train and we like walked over to to the to uh, where we're supposed to be. Bart, me and him, and uh, we found our way up to this floor and walked in. And there's Pelé and Steve Ross and Gordon Bradley and there's our new team. I walked in like okay, I didn't know anybody anything about the New York Cosmos other than playing against them, you know. And, uh, and uh, Pelé was there. I mean, are you serious? There's Pelé at our signing, whatever you want to call it, announcement of a trade. You know, I'm thinking, so what? We got to trade. I mean, not not to me. To me, it was. But I'm thinking, like in the soccer world of things. Okay, who cares? A couple of American guys get traded from Philly to New York. What's the big deal? You know. But here it was. Pelé was there. So you literally. So again. So you literally had no idea that you were basically going to be shipped off to another team? I mean, you have any inkling? No, no. No, no. Zero. I didn't know what was going on with management. You're talking about an off season now. Okay, the team's done and you're done. You don't stay in Philly. What are you doing there? If you don't train every day, you go home and you go home and you try to work out on your own and you're not around anybody now because all the other players go back to the countries are from and Riz goes back to uh, I think he actually did get his teaching degree. He was back to teaching or I, I don't know, whatever, down in Philly. You know, and you're just home and you have no cell phones, no computers. You're just home, you know, and you're not happy. I'm back at my parents' house, you know. You, you, you want to be, you want to get back, you're back doing something, you know. And then you get a phone call. The phone rings and you answer it. And your life changes with a phone call and you're like, oh, damn, I got to call Riggs. Hey, Riggs, we got to be, we, go, we just got traded, Riggs. Oh, damn, Palais on that team. We're going to get to meet him. You know what I mean? That kind of conversation, as silly, little boyish as that sound, that's that's 
pretty much the way things were back then. All right, time for me to catch my breath, get a cool, tasty beverage, and uh, remind you while we do so that uh, our friends at Audible uh, are here to uh, remind you that uh, you can get a free audiobook download uh, of your choice from over 180,000 titles. Uh, if you go to audibletrial.com slash goodseats and uh, use that link, of course, to uh, try for yourself a free audiobook on us, uh, gratis, if you will. And you will love the idea of audiobooks. It's uh, it's an awesome way to kill time uh, and uh, occupy and stimulate your mind, uh, perhaps when your eyes are busy uh, doing uh, something else. And of course, there are plenty of uh, interesting books to be found, especially in the world of sports and sports history. And I think our audience might enjoy a few of these, of course, including uh, the seminal work by uh, baseball uh, legend Jim Bouton. It's called Ball Four. It is uh, not only written, but it's also narrated by him. You could use your free credit for that book. And of course, as you know, Ball Four uh, centers around the 1969 uh, one-year wonder that is the uh, Seattle, was the Seattle Pilots of Major League Baseball, but obviously the uh, the background for a whole lot of other observations about the sport of baseball. And it remains to this day, uh, perhaps uh, one of the most celebrated writings about the sport of baseball uh, in this country. Of course, you can also, if you're not a big baseball fan, you can go into the world of soccer uh, with uh, the autobiography called My Turn by Johan Cruyff, the uh, uh, late Johan Cruyff, uh, perhaps one of the world's best ever uh, soccer players. Uh, he of Dutch heritage, of course, uh, plenty of uh, great legendary years at club play as well as national team play uh, for the Dutch team, as well as for our audience, maybe a little bit of interest, uh, his journeys in the North American Soccer League in the late 70s and early 80s with the uh, Washington Diplomats uh, and the uh, Los Angeles Aztecs. And of course, if you're into football, uh, there's probably no better book, especially if you find yourself uh, really interested in the sort of deep and rich history of the NFL with uh, the book called NFL Football, History of America's New National Pastime. It is written by Richard Crapeau and narrated by Marlon May. That, too, uh, is uh, an audiobook that you could choose from over, like I said, uh, 180,000 titles. Uh, there's got to be something in there that's going to be of interest to you. And by all means, give it a try. And we appreciate your doing so at audibletrial.com slash goodseats. And again, you're going to get your free uh, audiobook download. You can cancel it any time. And again, even if you cancel it, you can keep that book as long as your device exists. So again, we appreciate it. Give it a try. Audibletrial.com slash goodseats. And now back to our conversation. So did you ever find out how uh, you and, and, and Bob Rigby uh, hit the Cosmos radar? Like uh, where, where and how did you sort of distinguish yourselves enough where uh, the, the brass at uh, Warner Communications and the Cosmos organization uh, felt that uh, you guys were uh, were worth pursuing and, and bringing into the team with this new international superstar at the helm? Well, I don't know how that comes about, came about at all. I believe at the time they knew Rigby. I think Riggs had gone on tour with them. Didn't he like the, the uh, spring or something before that? Or I don't know now. I'm just trying to think. And Pelé loved them. So I would like to think that, you know, and, and this is probably a bad rumor, that they were starting to need a couple of American players on the field, and the Cosmos went out to get a couple. Now, 
that's not fair to the Americans that were there, that were there because I knew them and they were, they were good players. Why they got us? It wasn't because we were, you know, the only two Americans that could be on their field. There was other players, but I don't know. I know they, I know that Palais loved rugby and wanted him. And so they came out and maybe they got a deal for both of us, you know, and, uh, you know, whether they thought that we were, I was going to be a player. I know, I know that Riggs walked on that field and that was his, that was his job. And I had to, you know, I, I was there and I had to fight for my, my time and my space, you know, and, um, you know, that's, I don't remember anything about how, who, any conversation about, uh, where I was on their radar at all. I don't, I don't know about that. I'm just well, glad I was. But also, yeah, don't be too modest, right? I mean, obviously, you're an all-star player caliber, right? But Rigby's obviously an all-star caliber player. Uh, I think uh, Rigby had uh, been in, in one of the superstars on, on ABC at that time, along with Kyle Rote, yeah, uh, Jr. And and I also think, too, that this is around, and I, I am, I'm not in a story, and I just play one on the podcast, uh, the, uh, the institution of, or the beginnings of, uh, the NASL mandating the sort of three Americans or North Americans on the field at uh, during the game at all times and stuff. So there's probably a confluence there of not only your standout uh, uh, play generally, but also the fact that you are Americans and that the league is recognizing that that Americans or North Americans have to be on the field. And, you know, this sort of this tension that's lasted through, I don't know, the rest of soccer history in this country, right, is how do you get the American players more integrated into the into the sport, into the game? Uh, mainstream. Yeah, um, I think it was. I remember a, a couple of games where it was you had to have two Americans on a field, and I remember the Cosmos announcing their lineup: Bob Rigby, Warner Roth, Bob Smith, and then the rest of the team. And I would, I was running out there with them and, and sort of saying, "Damn, two of us have to be here. One of us really does deserve to be here. I wonder which one that is, because we had three, and you had to have two. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I never felt like it was uh, like I didn't deserve to be there and we have to have two. So I'll kick Smith and Rigby out there. I, I didn't feel that way at all. I felt like we deserved to be out there. You know, I, I, I do feel that way. And you said, you know, don't be so humble. I, I'm not being humble. I, I know what I, my value was to every team I played for. And I had a value and play used to always remind, he'd always say like, you know, how important all the players were in a team. And he was such a team player that way. Was awesome. He never made you feel like he's a star. And, uh, we have we have a right back there from New Jersey, but no, it was always we're, we're, it takes eleven of us to win this game. And I always thought like, well, you know, if they don't score, we can't lose. So my job was defending, and I took it very seriously. And um, I tried to be as good a defender, you know, as I could. And I had to play against some big people. And I'll, I'll tell you the difference uh, that I believe uh, helped me a lot was I really could care less who I was playing against. And it was a big name player every week, kind of, let's say, you know, but I just remember like, all right, let's go. This isn't going to be the easiest day he's going to have in, the, in my, in my country. It's going to be a difficult day for him. And I never felt intimidated. It's George Best, Johan Cruyff and Ronnie Marsh. And I loved it. I loved those guys. Those players for, for me having the opportunity to play against them and mark them was an honor, but I was not, I was not sitting out there like uh you know, little kid looking up to these idols and being nervous. I wasn't nervous, you know? So I think that had a lot to do with me having a little bit of success playing was that, and that's what comes from, you know, that Ireland stuff. And it comes from just not, you know, it just comes from being a rat in a 
country where you're playing a game that's, you know, nobody's standing up and cheering about anybody playing soccer that time. So you, you weren't like, there was no ego issues going on with American soccer players. You know, there was no room for that. And there was no right to feel that way. You know, I, I remember going out there thinking, all right, what is it today? Let's go, you know, and uh, loving every minute of it. Yeah. Give me a, give me a sense of, so uh, you played for the Cosmos for, for three seasons. And, and if you had to take any slice of time in the Cosmos arc of their history, uh, you were literally in the uh, probably the most uh, dramatic uh, two to three years of that franchise, right? So maybe give us a sense of, you know, 76 through 78. I mean, you could not, and obviously we saw the documentary about 10 years ago and you and, and Shep in the, in the back of the limo uh, with some very interesting anecdotes. Uh, the, uh, I mean, what a rocket ship, right? I mean, I describe that because yeah. here you've been describing a career, right? That has kind of like almost been, it's almost giddy the way you describe it, right? In, yeah. in sort of like, you yeah. know, you go from one level to another level and I can't believe I'm going to this yeah. level. And now you're not only on this another level, you're going in the stratosphere with a bunch yeah. of other things going on, right? In in American sports, right? It was a phenomenon, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the international soccer community and, and in the first, if you will, kind of super club, uh, you know, it was a phenomenon in the New York City metropolitan area. It was like all the, it was the place to be and to mm-hmm. go. What was that like? I mean, and it, it, relatively, I don't know, it was certainly a different level, but, you know, I, describe that rocket ship ride because that had to be insane. Well, let's let's keep a certain thing, couple things in mind here. Now, train every day, be prepared and games look forward to that didn't change. You know that the concept of the game and what I'm all about is now all the other stuff is like just surreal. Every day I walk into that locker room, I see Pelé. Not one time did I think like, Oh, that's Pelé. Like, and I played him two years. I played through 79, half of 79 as well, that you didn't mention, but I'll just throw that in there. But never did I walk into that locker room. But, but also never did I think like, I was so proud to be in a locker room with him. And next to me is Bogus Shevitz from Yugoslavia. Are you kidding me? He's unbelievable. But I never felt like, um, you know, um, I, I didn't belong. I mean, I always felt like a teammate. I love the guys. I'll fight for them. And but I, I really never got comfortable with Pelé being in a locker room. It was never like, here's a, here's a, he's a teammate. It was always like in awe of him, like almost, almost every day. Cause, cause you play with him for two years. It never gets to the point where, uh, you know, it's Pelé. I always had that like, uh, you know, uh, like idol feeling of him being around because he was that special person in this, in, in sports and as a, as a human being, you know? So, but I mean, the whole circus of it was just like uh, it was just a, a ride. Like you get on this, you get on this uh, car that's moving fast, and it just takes off, and you're going, and it's just stuff's flying by, and you, you, you're you're involved in it, and uh, it, it's hard to pick a day and remember what a day would be like normally when it was kind of like a blur. Every place you go, it's our biggest game of the year. The airport's crazy. Pelé is there, and you know, I, I knew then that it was like um, a really uh, special, certainly very special team. But I tried to stay focused on what I was doing. You know what I mean? And 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 all that opportunity that I have still to play against and with these great players, I have to stay focused on my job and what I'm doing, and and, and get there and work harder and get better and care more and just constantly trying to 
gain respect. I think that's the biggest thing that American players dealt with and fought for that I can remember in all the locker rooms and all of them being filled with foreign players and seeing the American guys from other teams is just give me some respect that they wanted from their teammates and from the sport in general. Because, you know, it, it was it was such a foreign game. We all know that. And Americans were so bad. We all know that too. But, you know, I talked to um, Dennis Tord about this one time. He was a Man City player that played the Cosmos. I met him a while later, kind of like five or so years ago. He said, Smitty, Smitty, you, you, you guys were so pumped up and so uh, for America players. I, I, he goes, you, you, you belong there. There weren't enough of you. And I, I got that point, you know. He said that to me, and it kind of hit, rang a bell a little bit. But I wanted every team with Americans on. And he felt like, y- you're not ready. Your country's not ready. They are not ready. You are. And he gave me that. And he never gave me anything, Dennis. I battled him like we went like animals at each other. And it was great. This big, big superstar from Man City. And I'm, I'm going after him every day. And it was great. And before games, he'd say to me, uh, what American hack am I playing against today? Like, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And I said, well, hey, Dorito, okay, you ought to, maybe you ought to take this game off, Dennis, you know? Maybe you ought to sit down because he's my national team teammates. And he's just riding the Americans at how bad we are and all that. And I, I, get all, I get how they feel that way. But he was saying, what American hack am I playing against today? So it came down to a lot of respect issues. And, you know, that was always a little bit weird for a lot of the guys. I, I don't give a rat's ass. I really didn't. You know, I'm out there playing. And I'll get respect in the next 90 minutes. I know that. You know, what you think of me or locker rooms or Americans in general, fine. You know, we're not very good. I get it. But today I'm on this field and I'm playing against somebody from another country and I'm going to make their day miserable. You know, that's what I remember feeling more than anything when it comes to the Americanization of the game. Just do my own job. And Dennis Stewart said, there weren't enough of you. You and Dorico, Rizzi, where's all the others? And I thought we had a lot. And you're also playing, obviously, on the best team in the league, too. So that, that's got to be saying something, right? Not only do you belong on the field, but also you are belonging to, you know, what became basically the juggernaut of that league for many years and uh, and, and distinguishing yourself as such, right? And, you know, that's, uh, again, that's sort of another sort of unique and uh, almost pinch me kind of uh, uh, scenario uh, when you think about your, your career just a few years yeah. earlier, right? Yeah, absolutely. The changes in it from from uh, Adam's first days to then Cosmos and then San Diego, Montreal, and then it's just off and running. And the Cosmos years were were pretty wild, though. I remember in the in the stadium club after the game, we had seventy seven some thousand people, and I was looking up at this TV screen. The Mets and the Yankees played both at home the same time we did. The Yankees had twenty seven. The Mets had no, the Yankees had thirty three. The Mets had 27. I looked at that. I did the math. And I said, did we just outdraw the Mets and the Yankees in our home game? And they both played home games as well. And, and that's like a staggering thought. You know what I mean? <laughs> For soccer in this country at that time. And that was a true moment. I'm looking at it going like, damn, we just outdrew both those teams together. And it's because of play in Beckenbauer. And you're in a city. Now, you're not drawing. You're not drawing those people in Tennessee and Alabama and North Dakota, I mean, you're in New York. You could pull it off there. You know, and I don't know what the population of the crowd was. I would have to assume the majority of them were not American-born. Wouldn't you, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I probably, yeah. I mean, you know, it's their it's game. Attention that's it's, been it's in their the game. game for many years here in this country, right? Yeah, I mean, people were coming from Trenton that, were, that lived in West Windsor and Princeton. 
people are coming from Trenton. There was the Polish, the Italians, the Irish, and the Scottish. They're the ones that went up to see the games, to see me play, you know? Well, they also they also knew quality, right? And 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 this is sort of the thing that that, that continues to linger, you know, as Major League Soccer, you know, uh, rounds uh, the corner for its playoffs this year. And you know, is this sort of that Euro snobbery or the, you know, the the sort of the uh, the the international sort of expectation of a higher level of play? And it still persists today, whether it's real or imagined, you know. And and I, you know, I mean, you, you go to those Cosmos games, right? It was very much a melting pot of fans. I mean, you know, for every American. You know, kid like me, uh, you know, uh, there were, you know, plenty of uh, other foreign languages represented there. But it, it was entertaining to watch. It was quality. Yeah. And it really didn't matter quality, what ethnicity right. it was. It was it was the, you know, the proverbial universal language of soccer. I know. And uh, you had the the luxury of watching Carlos Alberto in the back. Franz Beckenbauer in the midfield with Bogey. Palais up front with Kinalia. Dennis Tuart. I mean, this, this was like, you know... That has to draw well. It's the best players in the world out there. You know what I mean? And unfortunately, I think the league kind of ended up regretting that kind of a scenario on one franchise because all the other teams, I don't know what they did. They tried to keep up with the causes and get more players. And you're still bringing 18 Englishmen. All these franchises started coming out of anyway. You brought these 18 Englishmen to, to Nashville, Tennessee. And you want that to work? I, I I don't get that whole theory how they how they how that came about. And you know there was there was no Americans on that team, and it's in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, let's talk about that because I I this is I really like to get your your opinions about the NASL, especially after you left the Cosmos in I guess you said '79, right? So you went to the San Diego Soccer's for a season or so, and then back to Philadelphia with the Fury, which is an interesting stop. I want to hear your commentary on. Um, and then uh, ultimately to uh, uh, Le Manique de Montreal for your uh, your last outdoor season. Um, what, what, give me a sense of what you thought of the Cosmos while you were inside the beast, shall we say? And did you did your thoughts change maybe as you were walking out the door of New York uh, when you were on the outside looking in, shall we say, to this Cosmos phenomenon? Well, I remember being placed on the outside when there was a union strike and I was on the executive committee of the union and we had a, a player strike in 79. And that was my last moment with the cosmos from that moment on. And it's funny because Steve Ross always said to me, you're a Cosmo, you always will be. And I loved him. He was the owner of the team. We got along great. And you know, then that union stuff came along and I got jumped right in front of the line on that one. And, I don't know. I don't know how that worked out. I know a lot of guys I've talked to since then regret every bit of it, but you know, it, it was, it was players coming along behind us that had no more of an opportunity to play than a lot of other guys. And I just got involved in that and there was a player strike and it was somewhat successful in New York. Um, and then the next day I was gone. I was traded. He Steve Austin, where do you want to go? I said, I just said San Diego. Do you know he traded me San Diego? I met the team in Chicago. Uh, two days later, I'm playing in Chicago versus Team San Diego. I don't know. And it was the only team in the league that didn't have a player's representative at all the union meetings. And I get traded there. And I'm on the executive committee of the union. And I'm like, and then I found out Vogel Singer was a coach. And he said, I've always had a reputation of handling the problem players, American players. So, I won't have a problem with Smith, that kind of a thing. And we just banged heads immediately in San Diego. And then things started really falling apart for me for that point on. Soccer-wise, I'm trying to hang. But other things are coming into play. I get suspended from that team for quite a while. It just things started getting a little darker then. 
it was just because of you know, that same American kind of issues and stuff that kind of like I kept it around. It was my decision. I don't blame it on anybody, but you know, it cost me a little bit. Now I'm sorry about that, but that's the way it goes. You can make a stand sometimes and you, the chips fall really far and fall and, uh, and get up and, and look, look at yourself in the mirror and say, well, Hey, you know, that, that's, that's, that's what you risked. You risked it, you know? But anyway, so I went back to Eddie Fermani always had wanted me back with, when he was in New York, he got the Philly job, right? With the fury. So he brought me back to Fury and I had a job. Otherwise I was out of work. And then that franchise went to Montreal, the Philly franchise. So fortunately for me, I went to Montreal with it and uh, played up there, you know, and then I remember saying to a coach in the indoor league, I wanted to play in the MISL then if I could come play with him. He says, can I tell you something? I couldn't play you. I couldn't sign you for two cents. There's just no way I could put you on this team. Like, are you, are you nuts? I'm 30 years old. I'm 31 years old. I'm I'm on the U.S. national team. I, 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 and, and then it really became apparent the league was starting to suffer. Some franchises dropping. League struggling a little bit, and I was out of work. I was not employable at that time, unfortunately, and I regret that. But you know, that's that's how it goes. So, talk about the indoor game for a second, because that's obviously also the time you know as the NASL was kind of starting its decline in the early 80s. And fairly rapidly, actually, as the 80s sort of rolled on, um, there was this MISL thing and you played for a season with the fever indoors, right, which is sort of the continuation, as you mentioned earlier, of being able to play year round and stuff. Was there did did you did you think or potentially hope that that would be maybe a a, a place uh, to wind up uh, for a few more seasons, maybe as the as the outdoor league was sort of wobbly, because it did seem like the indoor game, especially as the 80s kind of rolled on. You know, it, it actually became the only major source of professional soccer in this country. Did you see or have any inkling to any of that? Or was it just a way to, again, stay in shape for the offseason? That's that's the way I thought about it initially, certainly was an offseason sport that I get to play around. I loved it. I never thought of not playing outdoors and only playing indoors. Never. It never even occurred to me. Now, you know, I get to a point you're going to where I'm now out of work, but there still is an MSL. But I, I, I just remember, um, I think the league was as done with me as I was with them kind of a thing, unfortunately. And it's, it is unfortunate because I wanted to keep playing. But I just think it's like, I don't know, I just feel that I had burnt a couple bridges a little bit there that couldn't be crossed again. And I just think I became unmarketable actually. And I loved indoors. I, you know, played with, I, I thought I played two years of the series. You said just one. Okay, that's fine. But I mean, we, we, we played that. I, I loved an indoor game. You know, it was fun. I, I just, you know, I, I didn't have opportunities to play it when, when my outdoor season was done and I was done in Montreal. I didn't have an opportunity. Now, you don't have an agent. You know, I'm not, I'm not calling people. No, my phone's not ringing. But there's, I mean, how are you contacting me? How are you in touch with that? You know, I, I, I was not sure always of how to go about uh, making connections. And somebody must need me as a thing. Where's these teams at? I don't know. How, what do I do? Drive to, 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 to these teams to Baltimore and see if I can play for them? I, I don't know. I, I never knew exactly how to handle that and how to get in touch with people. It was a different world then, you know, so I, I wasn't, you know, and I think at that time, you know, I just walked away from the game, you know, and, you know, took the great memories with me and just uh, moved on, moved on in life, you know, I was, you know, uh, but I liked the indoors. I did like that. And I would have continued playing 
I would have continued playing outdoors if I could have. Really, you know, I stopped at 31, which is, I don't know, not that old. Well, before we certainly not. So before we uh, sort of wrap up the the, the career thing here, uh, and and I want to obviously sort of net out into the to what ultimately uh, was sort of the ultimate uh, expression of of gratitude for uh, what you accomplished, right, with your Hall of Fame uh, induction. Um, talk to me about the national team. You made an allusion to it, but um, I, I think it's important to remember that uh, pretty much during the entire course of your uh, NASL career. Uh, you were part of this uh, U.S. national soccer team. Can you give uh, the audience a bit of a sense of sort of what that meant, right? Because it's maybe for better or for worse, not what people think the U.S. national team is today. Um, but it obviously was an important part of the building blocks of of soccer in this country. How did that work? How did you get chosen? And what, what were some of those experiences, both maybe good and not so good? Well, I mean, the national team was... Um, such a safe haven place for all of us to go because now we're with Americans representing our country. And it was, it was like the biggest thrill put Pelé aside and that kind of stuff. The biggest thrill of our lives was to represent your country and hear the national anthem. Every time you go on, the, you want to feel for that. And it was such a disorganized group of stuff. The national team really was unfortunately, and it was never a, a money-making issue, which I could have cared less about again, really not a big deal. But it was like you get to see all the guys that you see in locker rooms, all over, you see up on opposing teams all over the league, don't get to play with very many of them because they're all, they're all spread out, you know, and you get to play with them on a the national team. And they all had the same kinds of things where, you know, it was like they're now with all Americans and not filled with Dennis Tewarts. And Ronnie Marshall's and, and just you, you understand the point that I'm trying to make is that it's almost like you take a deep breath and you can relax a little bit. You're playing with all the Americans on your, your buddies. So proud to be with them group, that group of guys. And no, you're not going to, you're not, you can't play Italy. You know, you're going to get beat by Mexico and you're going to beat Haiti and you're going to beat Canada here and then you're going to beat, win some games and lose to, to you're going to beat Poland. Very cool. And, and, and then you're going to have moments well, you know, you, you don't belong on the field with these better teams in the world. We know that. We, we get all that. We've been hearing enough about that all our lives. You know, so that's fine. But you're still representing your country. And if you're the best of 18 in your country in anything, that, that's very important. I don't care what it is. You're, you're, you're what somebody at least thinks is the top 18 soccer players in the United States. Now, that I want you to wrap your head around because that to me is like, way up there. You know what I mean? Because that's like an unbelievable thing to think of. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. St. Louis is put in Seattle. Oh, your kids in Tampa. A lot of kids in Dallas and L.A. And you took 18 and I'm one of them. I mean, you know, what more do you need, really, in your career, ever in your life, than some honor like that? So that's why I thought about the national team, you know. And doing ups and downs with it, but okay, there's ups and downs with everything. Ups and downs yesterday, and I'll have some tomorrow. That's life. But you know, you just move on, and and, and you you know, there was you know some issues with with that, and then some of the players weren't happy with the way they get treated, and some guys' shoe contracts weren't honored, and it got a little bit weird with some guys. But you know, to me, it was a thrill of a lifetime. I'm on the U.S. national team. I hear that national anthem before every game we play. I mean, you know, come on. So that was a, just a tremendous thrill playing on the national team. I got to keep playing 
So you're obviously well qualified to answer sort of this next question as we sort of round home here on on this chat. And this has been great. I, you know, this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, So I'm really curious. And and obviously, you know, you've stayed involved with the sport uh, past your your playing career uh, as well. Give me a sense of, you know, given all of your playing career uh, and and your your involvement in the game basically over your lifetime. Where do you what do you how would you generally describe sort of the the state of professional soccer in this country? I guess both at a league level, right, with Major League Soccer and and its occasional remembrances of the NASL or mostly some mostly usually not, uh, as well as the national team situation on the world stage. It's come a long way, I guess, in, bo- in both cases, right, since you were a player. But uh, in some cases, some respects, there's also kind of quite a bit still yet to go, no? Y- yes. I mean, now these players today are, I-, I think they're just so good. They really are so much more advanced than every, every generation just gets so much better. We are still not a soccer culture at all. Any, by any means, we're still a struggling sport in this country, in my opinion. But the level that we have to play, and uh, the MLS, and, and I was just talking to a guy the other night that came into my, my indoor facility, and he wanted to know what the Tottenham game was going on. You know, Tottenham played yesterday, and he was trying to get it on his uh, thing, and he was like, yeah, well, you know, I watch that, I can't watch MLS. Okay, Scottish guy, I get it. You're here. We still suck. I'm not watching the MLS. I watched, you know, I want to talk to Okay. I got it, you know, and that's still where the MLS is. And it's still where U.S. soccer is, you know, and we end up losing a game um, to get into the World Cup, an embarrassment to the country. I'm looking at a bunch of millionaire Americans out there playing, and I love our national team and have always supported those guys and and love, love. I saw a bunch of guys out there that look to me like they're going through the motions and don't get in the World Cup when the biggest games of their lives and they have a, a joke of a game. I mean, I, I didn't like that. It makes me think like the game has gotten someplace with some of the players and they're all of a sudden real full of themselves. They're making very good money and they're putting a product on the field. Nobody's dying out there. Everybody's good. Some of them, some of them going through the motions and letting down this Pulisic guy to go and be on the world stage in a World Cup and some of the, the biggest moments of their lives in a World Cup, and they come out and and it looked just to me like uh, I'm watching some prima donnas out here. Who are, who do these guys think they are? I'm thinking back of the Mark Demlings and Buzzy uh, Demling brothers and guys on the national team that were just like killers out there when when they weren't making any money and they went out there and died for the team. And I'm thinking like they need a little bit of the old school in these guys here. I don't see a lot of fight out there. I don't know. Those guys aren't dying for the sport, you know, but I don't want to be negative on the, on our national team because I, I, I'm obviously a huge supporter of it. I just thought that was a bad loss. And, you know, you expect our American team now to still beat the Brazils and Argentinas and England's and Italy's of the world. And I, I, I just don't know. I mean, I'd love us to get to that point in our players, like development programs. I see players coming into my, out of my, out of my building now, nine, 10, 11, 12 year olds that can play anywhere in the world against 12 year olds. I, I have to believe that they're that good. And something just happens. I don't, I don't know what happens. We, you know, I mean, we don't have these Liverpool and, and, and these Red Bull programs. That's, that's not what, that's not what we're, that's not what Europe has. We're not, we're not even close to that yet. You don't have these developmental leagues. You know, where Liverpool brings on guys and they're in their academy all the way up to their 18, 19, 16. 
And it's, it's just an unbelievable environment to be in. And I, we just don't have that. How about Major League Soccer? What, what, what do you see that is in terms of a professional league and, and the U.S. game and, and helping, hindering, that kind of stuff? Is that the best league in this country? And are those the best American players on the field? I'm all about it. I love it. Don't sit there and compare it to the Chelsea Arsenal game. You just got off your ass and saw it at 9 o'clock in the morning and come out here and watch Red Bulls play, uh, you know, Bland or something. I, 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 th- I like the level. I like it. It's our best players, and they're playing. They have great careers. And I, liked, I think it's very entertaining, you know. It's just that people have so much exposure now to high-level soccer. You know what I mean? You, you sit them and watch Barcelona play Real Madrid. Okay, that's not the Philadelphia Union. Well, we know that, you know. But the Philadelphia Union is the best team we have in our leagues, in our country, in the Red Bulls. I'm supporting them, and I, I go to see them play, and, and you know, and I, and I support them, you know. But pe- people, it, it says you can watch so much high-level soccer uh, now it's, it, 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 at, at any time that is, it's almost like, well, all right, I'll go see Red Bulls game, you know, kind of. It's just like that guy that walked in last night. Same, the same exact thing. This is just, uh, I mean, that's, that's 40 years ago. It's 20 years ago. It's 10 years from now. But the guy's going to come in. Oh, I'm watching Tottenham play, you know, somebody, uh, you know, oh, I don't watch the Red Bulls. I don't watch MLS. I mean, that's, I don't see that ever changing. Unfortunately, I just don't. It's a cultural thing. And, you know, that's it. You know, that's the way it goes, you know. But that said, that said, though, I, you know, I, I don't want to leave on a, on, a, on, a, on a downer note here because, you know, I, and, I've had, and I've heard this and I felt this from a lot of the sort of soccer conversations we've had so far. I mean, in many respects, right, I think and I think ultimately uh, recognized by your induction into the National Soccer Hall of Fame in what was it, 2007, um, you know, a real recognition that, you know, that a lot of what with the embarrassment of riches, I guess, that that. We enjoy today, whether it's through television coverage of every game on the planet, uh, a professional league that is knocking on the door of, I don't know, 28 franchises, although you know, danger signal, uh, NASL at 24, uh, you know, um, but, you know, in a league that's been around for over 20. I mean, you know, you, you could you have imagined that in the, in the mid 1970s when you were sort of living your your American soccer dream back in the day? That we would even be having these kinds of conversations about a pro league that's been around and, and you know, uh, and the, the relative popularity of the sport versus where it was 30 years ago, maybe? I know. I mean, it's, it's had tremendous success. And I think that MLS is, is uh, growing and the numbers are good and uh, the fan support's getting better all the time. Players are coming out better all the time and it's soccer's growing just tremendously. It's, uh, you know, um, I'm a, you know, real, realistically, I know where we're still at on the world stage in this country, this MLS and the USL leagues they have. Now, my son plays for this ASL team, um, you know, that's, you know, kind of like ASL is almost non-existent, the, the different leagues. And he's trying to get USL tryouts and he's playing. And every place I go and I see the USL team, that I'm like, there's so many good players, so many. And I, I still wish that our better players were getting more opportunities to play. I still wish that were the case. I still think that's an issue that I still have with soccer in this country. There's so many good players out there and they don't get a look. I don't think they get a fair shot. I still don't. I think there's 500 Central American soccer players out there and I'll see some, some Americans. That's fine. I keep going back to that same issue of Americans playing, but it just seems to be still prevalent. And our, our best players are so good. And there's so many good players out there. I really wish 
more players and opportunities. And maybe they're just, you know, a step or two behind. They're not good, quite good enough. Okay. But this country is developing some serious players, some serious soccer players, athletes, strong. I love it. You know, the game is growing and the MLS is solid as can be. And we've got players come out that are better, bigger, stronger than ever. And I love it. All right. Here's your chance to, uh, to plug. Uh, tell us about uh, your facility and what you're doing in the sport and uh, how can people find out more about you and the, and, uh, and the work you're doing and all that kind of stuff. Well, we, you know, I have this indoor facility here. It's, I have a Bob Smith soccer school and a Bob Smith soccer academy training programs. And, you know, we're just having fun. Great bunch of guys I have that are all soccer guys from, from this Trenton area. And we have a lot of fun. We're trying to instruct kids. We're trying to teach kids to play and care about it. And these guys are passionate guys about it. And it's just a little old tiny place in, uh, you know, Robbinsville, New Jersey, where we're having a lot of fun and we, we, we uh, do a lot of summer, summer camps all summer. It's a soccer program that I'm, I'm involved with, with a lot of really good people. And I enjoy it a lot because it's, you know, kids are just uh, opportunities that they're, they're playing and they're, they're getting better. And I like the training we're giving them. And, you know, it's, uh, it's awesome. I've got four kids and that are just graduated from college. I got four college loans to pay off. So I'm not going any place. I got to be working till who knows who. I don't care. I don't see myself retiring anyway. Like I, you know, I just have the same work ethic I always had. I want to hang in there and do the best job I can at something. And that's what we're doing now. And, you know, I really like it. And again, and again, it's like another team I'm on because I'm surrounded by eight, 10 coaches and 10 referees. We're all soccer guys. We get together. We talk about the game. We have a blast together. We're all just soccer junkies still. It's, it's actually the same way. And I think that's not unusual. All around the country, I think guys that have soccer backgrounds that get together with their, with their teammates and our home ca- hometown boys, you know. The soccer community is still very tight. It's still a small community, I think. And, you know, it's, you know, it's a thrill to still be involved in the game, which I am. And I'm making a living doing it now. Like I never met. That's what I never imagined happening, making a living at soccer after I get done playing. Well, it's been a thrill talking to you, and it's really clear that the passion for the game uh, still uh, exudes from your pores, even though I can't see you. We're just talking virtually, but um, uh, this has been an amazing conversation, and, and a, look, a tremendous career, and, and again, a lot of the reasons we have some of these conversations is to kind of, you know, uh, not sort of just dwell on the past, but frankly, you know, uh, embrace it, right, vigorously, because, you know, not a lot of the stuff that I think a lot of this generation sort of takes for granted you know, sports generally, but soccer in particular, right? Uh, I think, you know, owes a huge debt of gratitude uh, to players and passionate ones at that, uh, like yourself, right? Who, who really, you know, uh, made and pioneered. I, You know, I throw that word out not too lightly, right? Um, you guys were pioneers. And, you know, your your passion for the game, you know, back at the time when the success of it uh, wasn't necessarily guaranteed, um, you know, in many respects is to be not only remembered, but uh, but celebrated. And I I can't thank you enough for, for making some time. And I, I look forward to sharing this conversation with our audience. I think they're going to just be enthralled with it. At least I was. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate Tim. I mean, it's 40 years ago, man. Where did 40 years go? I feel like I just came off a field like uh, a couple of months ago uh, playing Mexico. I, really, I mean, you know, I just don't get what 40 years ago is. It's, it's, it's amazing, you know, but thanks for bringing up some of them old memories. You know more about what I did than I do. I'm not, you know, I don't keep track of, things uh that i've done in the past but uh you know I, I never thought it was that difficult to fall in love with something and just want to do it every minute of your life i didn't think that was difficult i loved it you know 
but thanks for thanks for uh, you know wanting me to be involved in your show. I really appreciate. It. I heard some of your other shows that they were really really good stuff. I appreciate it. Man, oh man, that was a great fun conversation. Thank you so much to Bobby Smith for uh, regaling us. Uh, uh, with those stories, uh, putting up with our questions and my little uh, uh, schoolboy uh, geeky fandom. Uh, and uh, yes, indeed, uh, it was he and uh, and Bob Rigby when they came to uh, my little uh, my little school in beautiful Hohokus, New Jersey, uh, as uh, a uh, a little uh, soccer player, uh, you know, and uh, sort of getting uh, aware of this uh, sort of professional soccer thing and this team called the New York Cosmos and this guy named Pele. And uh, it was his fault, uh, Bobby Smith and and, uh, and Bob Rigby's, uh, that I became a fan of the sport. And um, uh, I can't uh, thank them enough for, for doing so, uh, albeit probably unwittingly. Uh, little did they know, right? But um, but thanks to Bobby, and uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, this uh this chat, I hope it was a good way to celebrate the holidays. Uh, you can uh, find more uh, about Bob and his uh, soccer stuff at the Bob Smith Soccer Academy. You can find them at bobsmithsoccer.net. That's bobsmithsoccer.net. And uh, the Bob Smith Soccer Academy is uh, just you know full of, uh, of programs. There's an indoor facility there uh, and uh, in beautiful Robbinsville, uh, New Jersey, in the uh, South Jersey area, metropolitan Philadelphia area. Uh, tell him that you... Uh, heard him on this little show and uh, I, I i don't know if there's any discount involved but i'm sure he'll be ex- excited and ecstatic uh, to hear that uh, you uh sat through a great conversation with him and uh and uh, enjoyed our little uh memory uh, lane uh, exploration about the cosmos and then some in the north american soccer league again that's uh bobsmithsoccer.net and uh, we thank bobby uh for uh, taking time to uh to chat with us we hope that uh, he and you out there in listener land Uh, are healthier than I am uh, this week as we record this show for sure uh, and that you're enjoying the holidays and uh, we look forward to uh, a great 20 oh uh, 20 geez 2019 I think that's the new year Uh, and if you're listening to it uh, in the first week of the new year we uh, we uh, belatedly say happy new year to you Uh, and uh, we look forward to dropping our first episode of that new year of 2019 don't forget to change your checks appropriately when you're writing them out uh, we will drop our uh, next episode for you on uh, January 7th, that Monday, that it's a return to our our normal publishing schedule. We're just, uh, we've taken a week off. We uh, we need to nurse our voice back into health. And um, we hope that uh, you've enjoyed uh, our uh, explorations in 2018. And we look forward to seeing you again with some more great stuff in this 2019. Thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays uh, now or belatedly to you. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, talking to you again soon right here on Good Seats Still Available. Thank you so much, everybody. Bye-bye.